You're about to join Jerry Parker, Maritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Welcome to this week's edition of the Systematic Investor Series with Jerry Parker and me, Nils Kostolarsen, where we share our knowledge and sometimes painful experiences of what it's like to be a rules-based investor, and where we end with some Q&A-based uh, questions um, as uh, we want it to be a listener-driven show. Uh, Moritz uh, is out this week, so good morning, Jerry. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you doing, Niels? Yes, doing great here on this side of the pond as well. Um, and if you're tuning in uh, for the first time, welcome. We love that you are here and we'll certainly do our best to inform and perhaps even entertain you about systematic investing during the next hour or so. Now, before we start, I want to give a big shout out to Clark JR6, Nickname2, and AP Mori, who all jumped into the US iTunes store this week and left some very nice rating and reviews. We highly appreciate this. And of course, also a big shout out to everyone who took the, the time to do so in their local iTunes store. And uh, allow me just to share these reviews with you, because I think they may be useful for listeners who are new to the show. So the first one came from Clark JR6, who wrote, Of all the market-related podcasts out there, TTU stands out. The content is absolutely fantastic. It has become my go-to source for trend-following information and encouragement, which is needed at times as a systematic trend follower. Keep up the great work. Thanks so much, Clark, for this. Um, nickname 2, he wrote, I'm not a trend follower, but the discussions are smart, nuanced, and should be uh, of interest to any trader seeking deep market insight. The program has also increased my appreciation for the trend following approach, which per the participants here has necessarily become more sophisticated than its turtle or origin. Appreciate that very much, Nick. And finally, AP Murray, uh, who left also a nice rating and review. He writes, Nils, Morris and Jerry do a great job recapping the week in financial market, sharing wisdom and experience along the way. Whether you're a trend follower or not, this is a weekly must listen. Thanks, guys, for sharing the journey with us. So, again, thanks so much, uh, Mr. Murray here. And, um, and by the way, uh, we have actually made it hopefully easier for you to support us with these reviews. Uh, you can just go to toptradersonplug.com forward slash review. Um, and that should only really take a minute or two uh, to help us out. Now, let's jump back to this week's um, review of the markets and things that caught my eye. Um, you know, during the week, fixed income markets really around the world uh, continue to recover from the sell-off we saw in the beginning of the month. Uh, at the same time, we saw energy markets uh, fall back to where they uh, were trading uh, prior to the attacks in, in Saudi Arabia. Um, but in terms of interesting new highs, uh, I noticed that yesterday the dollar index actually got back to levels we haven't seen since uh, early 2017. Um, and all in all, these moves which were you know, more or less all this week's moves, which have been more or less in line with some of the bigger trends we saw uh, leading into the end of August, I think overall have helped trend followers. Uh, and uh, also the on, on our side, uh, it has been an okay 
week. And let me just stay with that before we jump over to you, Jerry, and hear how things were on your side. Uh, but, you know, not surprisingly, um, it has really, you know, profits from uh, this week has really come from the fixed income markets and the energies and the currencies. So so those sectors have worked out well uh, during the week. Um, while we've seen a little bit of, um, you know, downside uh, in terms of performance from uh, softs, particularly in, in sugar. Uh, the meats didn't do well either. Uh, gold was also a small loser, and and some of the equity uh, markets. Um, and um, but you know overall a positive week. Nothing uh, you know too exciting. Um, but also when I was reviewing the news flow this week, um, a lot of things are still centered around the usual topics uh, like the trade war. Uh, where Trump uh, apparently now are talking about delisting Chinese equities. Um, there's another investigation into himself uh, this week. Talk a lot about that impeachment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We have Brexit on this side of the pond. We have the the Fed and and the repo debacle that takes up a lot of uh, time uh, in terms of commentators. And we have also this week uh, a lot of news about disappointing IPOs. Uh, and some that are even being stopped altogether. So the list is long, but it's kind of the familiar uh, points that people are talking about. So I'm not going to go into any uh, details or views on that. Um, but of course, all of this is taking time and focus uh, away from dealing with the real issues that many uh, economies are facing um, and it's maybe not surprising that we saw uh, the former Fed chair, Janet Yellen, uh, on Friday. I think it was at an event at Georgetown University where she said that she believes that the Federal Reserve's estimates for long-term economic growth might be a little bit too positive. And she was citing three factors such as demographics, education and productivity. Um, which is probably not what the uh, the kind of news that the central banks and, and policymakers are hoping for at this time. So not so much real meat, I would say, uh, this week in terms of news that really moved the markets. Um, biggest movers were things like lean hogs up 15%, but I'm sure a lot of people may not uh, follow things like that. Um, and, um, you know, we had some obviously some downside pressure on energies, but... Nothing else really stood out uh, to me. What about you, Jerry? Um, what uh, caught your eye and how, how was your portfolio? Any big changes this week? Oh, no, not too many big changes. You know, <clears throat> my long-term systems kind of prevent the big changes. Uh, just some of the things I'd add to what you said is some of the currencies, uh, the, I guess, uh, smaller or emerging market currencies are stronger. Uh, India. Israel, Turkey, Russia, <clears throat> maybe not making new highs, but hanging in there and not not making lows versus the dollar. So a little bit different uh, in Europe and uh, Canada, Aussie, New Zealand. Uh, so that's good because I have those currencies and it's good to have more diversification. I think I was like Sam who mentioned a few weeks ago that had a debacle in February, I think because he lost money in a, every single currency, which I think I might have as well. So it's good to see some diversification pop up. Uh, not happy with the gold and silver sell-offs and the volatility there. I guess uh, those, tr those trades are probably going to have a big week. 
are they going to hang in there, recover, or have we seen the highs for a while? And I think Bitcoin, the uptrend in Bitcoin is uh, in doubt, let's say. I'm trying to choose a, a word that could cover me, uh, but uh, it looks shaky. This bit, my first Bitcoin futures trade doesn't look good. So, but like you said, it's a mixed bag. I'd much rather be long and short all the different markets than uh, just a few positions positioned long, let's say even though stocks continue to do well, and I probably had a few buys and a few short liquidations, but nothing big in the stocks this week. No. Well, we can't have excitement every week, and, and, and as many people know, doing trend following is usually not a very exciting thing to do anyways, um, but, uh, you know, keep the focus, do the trades. That's uh, really how it works. Also, I have to thank you, by the way, Jerry, for sending me the news uh, about Hedge Week uh who announced their 2019 USA awards and apparently Dunn Capital, our company, uh, was named Best Macro CTA Fund, which of course is, is that that's great news. Um, but I wasn't even aware that there was a category called Macro CTA Fund. But but maybe this is a kind of a new description that firms like Chesapeake and Dunn, we have to, to get used to. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think it's fine. I'm kind of... Uh, anti the term managed futures because I don't think it's very descriptive and I don't think it was created by CTAs. So I think uh, systematic global macro CTA is just fine. I mean, I like CTA because people have a tendency to know what it means. It's like IBM. It has nothing to do with what they do now, but IBM's not going to change their name. Uh, it's kind of, we know what IBM is and has a long, glorious history, as do CTAs. We don't trade commodities uh, like we used to. It's it's a minority of what we trade now, but that's fine. Uh, <clears throat> so I think anything that kind of is more descriptive and gives people a better indication off the cuff of exactly what's going on here. So I'm fine with uh, systematic, global, macro, CTA. Those are all good words because it's what we do. Yeah, no, very true. Also, it was it reminded me of a recent paper I read uh, from Mercer, the big consulting uh, firm, and um, they are now uh, trying to introduce um, three new terms um, to describe the strategies when they talk to their clients. So they now talk about pure trend, diversified trend, and multi-strategy, and they define it by pure trend being that the underlying models uh, or allocation inside the program, 90% or more to trend following, then you're pure trend. Uh, diversified trend is 50 to 90% um, to trend following strategies. And then multi-strategy is less than 50%. Um, and they go on, and so they talk about that in this paper, and then they go on to put that also in relation, and this is maybe where I, I kind of disagree a bit, they go on to put that into buckets of, okay, so what should you pay for this? So if you're unfortunate enough and fall into the pure trend category, uh, they think that you should only be paid a base fee of 50 to 80 basis points um, and no performance fee. Um, I don't know if they say that, that you think you should pay, but that's how they, they present it in the paper in terms of buckets. The diversified trend followers, so if you can get into that category, 
you should be able to charge 100 basis points or 1% uh, management fee and up to 20% performance fee. And if you are in the multi-strategy camp, you should be able to charge more than 1% management fee and maybe even more than 20% performance fee. So I have some problems with that, but I I wanted to hear hear your thoughts, uh, Jerry. Well, it's early here on the (laughs) East Coast, but I'm totally awake now. I don't like any of that. It's horrible. Uh, for one thing that I don't like, and I think you and I have talked about this, and we're not, we, we, you and I are probably not on the same page on this all the time, but I don't like calling trend following. I don't like assuming that trend following is the CTA portfolio. You know, I like trend following is trend following. It exists in currencies only, stocks only, commodities only. It exists in all the markets together, long and short, long only. Trend following is trend following. Trend following in stocks has worked incredibly well. Diversified trend following has not worked that great. The typical CTA portfolio that is diversified, it's not 100% trading the stock market or just taking the long trades. So now they've said, well, no, that's not diversified. Diversified is the systems that you're trading. Is it all trend? Is it... 50% 50% trend and the balance being mean reversion, short term, carry trade, blah, blah, blah. And so and then they go, they're so presumptuous to go in and say, well, here's what you should be charging. You know, I think most of the time you sort of get to charge based upon, uh, you know, the sharp ratio or your drawdown. So if you have a smoother return like Dunn might have, then maybe you can charge more than Chesapeake, who doesn't have a smoother return because it's mostly trend-following. But this is sort of market-determined, client-specific, manager-specific. Yes, yeah, so I don't like this idea of uh, they're going to uh, decide and come up uh, with uh, these new names that are misleading and uh, sort of try to tell us what we can charge or what clients should be paying. Yeah, I don't like any any of that. No, I agree. I mean, I but just as a quick comment, I, I wish we had more uh, more smooth return than you, Jerry, but I think we're in the same camp when it comes to, uh, you know, embracing volatility and accepting volatility in your returns. But I also find it extraordinary because essentially, uh, again, uh, where does it come in that you should actually pay for what you get, right? So if you get a great return, it doesn't really matter, you know, whether it's 51% trend or 90% trend, if you get a great net return you know, from your manager, why not pay them well, right? Just because we use... And, and, and we talked about this with Peter Borish. I mean, clearly we have, as an industry, done a really poor job by saying to people that what we do is simple. It's not simple. Um, but we, what we have managed to do is to take something that's incredibly complex and, dif- and put it into... Um, relatively simple rules but to do it to implement it to do it you know and and all the other things we have to comply with i wouldn't say it's simple but i think it's crazy that you should be charging depending on just the 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 the, the different kind of strategies i mean you could deliver a crap return pardon my french um and and still get to just because you call it a multi-strategy you should be allowed to charge more than a trend follower who does really well and delivers good returns i mean that's crazy stuff in my opinion yeah i agree and i wanted to get back to uh what you originally said um, the global macro that that first thing you said about uh, the new description but i like yeah. i left out the most important part and that is that i like this idea that part of that was hedge fund <clears throat> 
because we are part of the hedge funds. We've sort of been pushed out of the hedge fund uh, label sometimes because we don't trade cash equities all the time and we're not sort of stock centric. But if of all the different hedge fund strategies, we've got to be the best hedge because we trade the most markets and we go short and we'll actually be short stocks and we're not highly correlated to the long S&P anyway. So I think uh, picking up that part, making that a part of our description is a very good idea. It's, it's a truth in labeling because we really are the best hedge out there. Uh, trying not to say crisis alpha, but over time, over bear markets, we're a great hedge. Plus, we have a tendency to make money, uh, unlike some of the other hedges. And I think another thing, too, is that uh, I had my, most of my career, I had lots of volatility. But this strategy, trend following, longer term trend following, with all the markets, currencies, commodities, stocks, bonds, long and short, is very reliable and it's very consistent. So there have been times where I made a decent return <clears throat> and had tremendous volatility or drawdowns, and uh, but we just were very consistent at making money annually, and my clients could care less. You know, what was the drawdown? In 93, we made 60%, and someone once told me, well, you know, John Henry made 65%, you made 63%, and but his drawdown was bigger, and I was like, look, 1993, not one single client of his or mine could tell you what that drawdown was. They could care less what the drawdown was, but the consistent annual returns, which, you know, prior to the past 10 years or five or 10 years, we were excellent at, at doing. And I think we can get back to that level because we just have, you know, the odds are in our favor with our strategy and with all the markets. So consistency and uh, being able to deliver a return like we used to, we get back to doing that, and the markets kind of get back to more trendy. Then, uh, once again, I think some of the ratios and numbers will be forgotten, um, as they should be. Yeah. No. 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 Absolutely. Let's leave that for now. I'm sure we'll come back to this discussion um, as we move along in our trend-following journey. I wanted to give a quick update on our live event, which is uh, almost uh, sold out. But we had some exciting news to share with people who uh, are coming. Um, but also maybe if there's one or two people still on the fence, uh, this might make you uh, more interested. I don't know. But we, uh, we're actually going to have a very special guest at the event who will come and and help us with our the mental side of the things. And it's actually Denise Scholl, who um, I think a lot of you... Uh, may have seen maybe on TV, uh, no, well, not on TV, on on shows like Real Vision, um, where she do she does a lot of great interviews there. But also, uh, as some of you might know, uh, and I, I don't watch the series myself, but I know you are familiar with uh, this TV series Billions. Um, but Denise also worked with the actress who plays the trading coach inside uh, the firm. Um, so. Uh, I could not be more excited about uh, having Denise uh, coming and spend some time with us uh, at the end of October in New York. Um, I think this will be really important for the group and for us. I mean, it's uh, something that you probably never grow uh, out of. The, the uh, um, you know having the having to work on your mental side, uh, especially when you're in this game. So, so I'm excited, Jerry, and I know you follow the series as well. 
That's oh, a great show and a great character, and I can't wait to meet her. And I think this is a great idea to um, <clears throat> embrace this whole idea. And when I started watching the show, I thought, what a great idea that to have a coach and someone, a counselor to talk to, because the markets are very stressful. And uh, even when you're following a system, the one of the keys is to ma remain disciplined and um, do the trades. And so getting some... Uh, ideas on how to continue to do that. You can keep telling yourself, buck up, be be better, do more. I mean, I, I don't think this is how you create better mental health, uh, just by yelling at yourself and criticizing yourself and telling yourself to do better. It's probably a lot better ways than that. So I'm looking forward to it. Do a very good job on on uh, getting her to come, Niels. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is great. Okay, let's uh, turn our attention to uh, to your uh, activity uh, in the social media world. Uh, there's always some really good insights that you uh, pick up and share. So uh, I know you've been busy this week, uh, maybe with other things. So um, did you still have time to do a bit in uh, in Twitter land? I did a bit, um, even this morning. So once again, I got a really good article from Morgan Housel via uh, Farnham Street. I really like this quote, and the link is out there for people to read the entire article, but it goes like this. You don't win by predicting the future. You win by getting the odds right. Bet on the one more likely to win than most people expect. That's the one that gives you the best odds. That's the best that pays off over time. That's the bet that pays off over time. And I just thought about Let's embrace that we do bet. I think, yeah, it's betting. It is odds. It isn't 50% uh, or 60% winning trades. It's getting those odds correct. And we just, our systems give us the best odds. Way, way better than concentrated positions in the S&P or buy and hold an index, uh, even though a lot of times it doesn't look like they are the best odds. But I've always embraced that it's a bet. Yeah. No, I mean... Uh... I, I think that's uh, that's a you know a good way of of phrasing it, and I think you know going back to our typical topic about your know, narrative and and how you know story is important and and so on and so forth. Um, you know, I've always thought that once the facts became clear, the choice should be obvious. Um, but it seems like when it comes to trend following. Um, it's a little bit harder for people to embrace because I do think the facts are pretty clear in terms of the value of having trend following inside your portfolio, yet there are still lots of people who don't embrace that, uh, which is uh, what we're trying to change, of course, with our little uh, podcast here. But um, but I know I think it, uh, I think Morgan Housel is, is spot on um, in, in the way he put that. What else did you... Uh, have. Well, just you know, a few weeks ago, I, I kind of complained in a tweet about how a lot of times in traditional money management, it's in their best interest to portray uh, investors, quote unquote, as you know these amazing people and uh, ethically and morally superior to uh, speculators or traders. And I think that's just kind of crazy. And I think. Uh, it's, I think it's ironic that the safest, best, most diversified strategy available f for investors is one that utilizes lots of futures and, lots of, and, and can access leverage and shorts. And these things are 
sound very uh, <clears throat> problematic and very scary terms, and yet um, it, it's the truth. Along only one, the stock market or bonds is not as safe as what we do. And uh, stocks have had a great run, but it's not always going to be this way. And so I think uh, terming it as a bet uh, sounds, oh my gosh, there you go again. It's a bet. Well, I bet in Vegas. I bet. I gamble. Yeah, well, you can. You don't have to acknowledge that when you buy some stocks, you're not you're, that you're gambling, but you really are. And I think looking at it as a bet, uh, with which insinuates to me uh, small losses, money management uh, principles, uh, maximum maximum uh, risk size, and trying to preserve capital, and at the same time trying to make money. I think these are all great term, uh, great ideas, and. I don't like uh, the way we're portrayed sometimes, and it's just purely for people who know better, but it's in their business best interest to use these horrible terms and try to portray us as something that we're not. Okay, so I'm off my soapbox, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 I, no, I was just thinking as you were talking, I'm just thinking, so what do other strategies portray, uh, uh, you know, say that they are, right? Are they saying they're not betting, for example? I mean, is that how they get around it? I mean. If they did, it's a little bit uh, disingenuous um, because we're all betting. Um, oh, they're investors. You know. Investors yeah. for the long term. Um, <clears throat> you know, we made fun last week because Wayne had this very good tweet how um, it's sort of like, you know, if a trader puts a trade on, at the same time the investor puts the trade on, if it goes against the trader, he takes a small loss. The investor may have uh, wanted Uh, you know, th had the same idea about the trade, but he can sort of put it in the investing bucket, which is long term, hold it for years, maybe you'll lose more money. Taking small losses doesn't sound right because the company is still good. It's still a great company. My fundamentals are still great. And so, um, you know, it's just all hogwash, in my opinion. Yeah. No, no. Very true. Very true indeed. Um What else caught your attention, uh, or or maybe the attention of people uh, that follows you on Twitter? Sorry, my bird invaded us. I'll, um, That's okay. I, I had a feeling she'd get out one of these days. <laughs> um, this is a good article from the Financial Times that I read a few days ago. A good article for us. Uh, the standout hedge funds this year have been computer-driven trend followers, which are on course for their best year since the credit crisis. Such funds do not balk at highly priced assets, but instead latch onto trends in the market wherever they lead. Asset prices may appear to make little sense, but for as long as the central banks are looking at ways to loosen policy even further, it is risky and costly for investors to bet against them. A lot of good stuff there. Yeah, it's nice for a change to see uh, an article that uh, describes what we do and in a positive uh, way. Um, so yeah, definitely I'll check out that article. I don't think that we're, um, we don't look at it as we're balking at highly priced assets. I think uh, that's a value and va a value uh, idea. And we sort of balk at looking at the markets as if they're highly priced or low priced, or if a brand new breakout signifies, well, that's a high price or after a trend, a pretty decent trend, well, now it's high-priced. We sort of balk at those sort of general ideas uh, and just follow the prices where they may lead. And uh, 
I think uh, a lot of the good trends, regardless if central banks are involved or what the perceptions are in the marketplace, uh, asset prices frequently appear to make little sense. And uh, so I think that's another edge we have is we don't, we assume that the fundamentals and the popular views may not be what's going to prevail in the long run. And when we're right and we get those odds right, we get some really nice outlier trades. I mean, the funny thing is, of course, that most strategies, we're all kind of trend followers, right? Because we're all trying to make money from a directional move in markets, right? We just we just define the rules and we follow them slavishly and uh, and therefore we are, quote-unquote, called trend followers. But all the other guys, they just have different mechanisms, but they're still trying to, for the most part, unless it's some kind of arbitrage strategy or whatever, but for the most part, they're you know, making a directional bet on 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 something, um, but of course uh, uh, their uh, approach can be described in perhaps more um, fancy words than than uh, following rules and putting you know these rules into computers. It doesn't uh, maybe sound as as exciting as as some kind of global macro strategy or or something else. But um, at the end of the day, we all we're all trying to make money from directional moves to a large extent. Exactly. And uh, maybe the CTAs, in my opinion, are a little bit more co conscious of the risk and um, preserving capital and not allowing a 50% drawdown or not having a 10-year period where you lose money like uh, and, stocks. And I think that's an important point you, you mentioned there, Jerry, because I think I think a lot of people are not aware of the fact that we kind of start with the risk because that's the only thing we have a chance of controlling. We have no control over the returns. So the risk is really where we focus a lot of our attention. Uh, yet a lot of people believe that what we do is more risky. And it's back to this discussion and, and you know, relentless debate about whether volatility equals risk or not. And of course, we say it doesn't. But, you know, a lot of people feel that they... They do, and, and of course, it all ends up in everyone judging an investment strategy based on the sharp ratio. And it, for, for many good reasons, that's probably perhaps the worst thing you can do in the very long run, because what might have a high sharp today and look safe, like Bernie Madoff did uh, before he, he completely crashed. Um, so, so, so sharp is something that needs to be taken with a large pint of salt, yet everyone wants to use that as the measure of risk-adjusted returns. That, that I think, is a, is, is a problem. Yes, and uh, this leads into a uh, good, good uh, qu uh, tweet from Wayne, and we could uh, probably end with this one because it's very good. Um, he's an endless source of great information and tweets. Quote, I have had a hard time with endless investment presentations that talk about their investment edge and philosophy, and related benefits for pages, and at the very end, throw in the requisite risk management slide as if that wasn't all that matters. Risk is not page 17, it's page one. And I go on to comment, uh, and, and uh, risk is not page 17, it is page one, and it's intertwined throughout pages two through 17 as well. And I think that's what trend following is. Uh, where does the risk 
start and end. It's like intertwined throughout everything that we do. Everything, every decision we make is based upon uh, capital preservation, taking small losses and diversification, shorts, huge part of the risk control, longs, uh, even paying it, even, even so, uh, making yourself uh, limit your decisions based totally on the price of the market is a huge uh, risk. How many times do we, uh, I was on vacation this week and a friend of mine was buying Bitcoin at the same time I was selling Bitcoin. So uh, at least I'm not buying when it's down. You know, my strategy won't work. The price is telling me, okay, I'm not happy. My long is losing money. But it's great information to know, Jerry, do not buy. This is not going to fit in with your strategy and your odds the way you set it up. Hopefully, my friend, it works for him. But uh, so just, the imp just submitting yourself to the discipline of price is so huge. And then, uh, literally, I sit back over the past 35 years when we make money, like this bond move is a primary example. It's sort of like you're helpless. Look, all this money is rolling in, and you're not doing anything. You're just sitting there watching and uh, not, not uh, screwing it up. So um, there's nothing as risk-conscious as we are, as the trend-following is, the diversified trend-following especially. Sure. If, uh, if you allow me, I want to end with one of my own tweets this week. <laughs> So a rare occasion where I did something that uh, wasn't related to one of our own episodes, but I was listening to a great episode uh, with Aaron Fifield and, and Larry Height. And, and uh, Larry is just a, a great source of uh, trend-following wisdom. And uh, they, they got uh, talking about uh, risk management. And, and Larry goes on to say, I go from where I enter to where the stop would be divided by my core capital. That's really third grade shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I didn't want to bring up Larry, but uh, <clears throat> I love Larry. I had a chance yeah. to meet him. I remember when I first got in business, February 1988, Mint was around, so they were my heroes. I actually had a chance to meet Peter Matthews at an MFA conference in the, you know, in the 90s. Met Larry Height five or so years ago, great guy. Uh, can't wait. You know, his book is out. I thought it was going to be out this week, but it may yeah, be. Yeah, I think it's close. I think it's, yeah, it's close. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, another quote from that article, I mean, that interview that I really yeah. liked. Uh, but this has opened up a can of worms because uh, <laughs> we have to come <laughs> You know, we talked about uh, this really fine article that you and Kirk wrote at Cantab. We talked about it last week about yeah. uh, complexity, which the markets are very complex, the world is complex and complicated. And I think what we do is complicated. The systems need to be somewhat complicated. Um, and once we work on them for so long, we do have a tendency to look at them and say, well, they're a lot less complicated. Or maybe my thinking is more, is more clear and, more, and less complicated than uh, it was when I first started. So, uh, but anyways, this whole simple, not simple stuff, is up for debate, I suppose, but I had another one that I really liked, and he said, simple has a very bad reputation. I'll tell you what simple really is. It's robust. I like simple shit, yeah. So I really like that. <laughs> I think I know what he means, uh, but, you know, frequently I'll have debates or emails back and forth with my friends, some of who you know, and they'll pose a question to me about money management or stock placements or position sizing. 
And then I'll give them my response and they'll go, oh my God, I had no idea. This is how you guys are doing these things. And I'm like, yeah, it's a lot more to it. You know, it's a lot of uh, sweat and pain over the years to refine this stuff. Mm. So, um, yeah, kind of simple, but uh, following prices is simple, but it's more to it than, than that, let's and, say. Yeah, and, and I think people should always remember that things that are simple doesn't mean that they're easy to do. I mean, that that's that's the problem. So, uh, you know, uh, anyways, great stuff. Now, let's jump to the questions. We've got a few. Um, so let's just jump right in here. The first one is from Eric. Uh, Eric goes, hi, guys. I love the show. Uh, I have really enjoyed learning more about systematic investing. I had a simple question. What are your thoughts about hedging positions with OTM put calls? Question mark. Also, what about taking positions using calls and puts as opposed to outright long short positions in markets with liquid options? It seems like in the money call has a similar risk reward profile as a long position with a stop. Totally unrelated question that has also been in the back of my mind. I fear algo trading machines will learn widespread trading system rules and front run or fake out people following widespread trading systems and uh, whittle out profits. Is the fear uh, founded? Um, thanks and keep up the great podcast. Thanks, Eric, for that. There's a few questions in there. The first one, I guess, is should you implement what we do using uh, options rather than uh, futures? And the second question is about whether uh, algos might uh, come in and, and, and impact what we do. So what are your thoughts on that, uh, Jerry? Well, I'm certainly not an option expert. I think uh, options do have this volatility piece to it that uh, CTAs or trend following in the futures markets or cash stocks don't really uh, have as much of, let's say, like we do, I do use uh, volatility in the markets to set my initial position. Uh, but I think maybe options are obviously a little bit more <clears throat> involved with uh, the volatility. Maybe it's, uh, I've heard people say it's like almost all volatility. Um, and of course, trend following has been described as op option replication, <clears throat> small losses, limited upside, unlimited upside potential. And I've sort of said, yeah, it sounds maybe like it is option replication without having to pay the premium. I think paying the premium is the problem. And uh, getting that right and having your option profits overcome the premium is, it's the deal. I mean, it's hard to do. And... I guess the third piece I would say is that uh, you know what you know, and and we know the this game that we play and the back testing and uh, uh, you know looking at the historical how the systems have performed historically and uh, with uh, lots of data, and so I think that's probably tougher in options. Uh, I don't know, and I definitely agree with the last part that it is possible. There's algos. Uh, front running or whatever, but they're probably, uh, over time, probably not going to be any more accurate than uh, we are, let's say, as far as uh, it's okay to front, try to front run me, but uh, I can also defend myself. And that's sort of our job is defending ourselves and uh, 
not uh, letting not being subject to that as much as we could be if we just sort of ignored it. I definitely have never been in favor of this idea that there will always be trends. Well, that's half the equation. There will always be trends, but it's up to me to sort of figure out a good place to buy, a good place to exit, and uh, not let bad algos destroy my profitability. Yeah, ab yeah, absolutely. And I think that kind of ties into my thoughts on both questions, really, and that is... Um, you know, I, I agree with you. There's going to be people who are going to try and 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 uh, whether they, it's front running or, or whether it's trying to get trends back to the mean and 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 get us stopped out or whatever it might be. That's perfectly fine. That's how markets work, and and um, you know, and 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 trend following will survive that. Uh, you know, one way or the other, I'm sure of that. Um, we always have to be. We always have to be better or become better and innovate and all of that and that's what research is 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 all about but back to this call uh, this option implementation thing what i find is that i think from a practical point of view um i think it'll be incredibly difficult to do because our trading models are based on when certain things happen in the futures price you know do we get stopped in do we get stopped out etc cetera, etc cetera. and i just don't see that easily replicated in a, in in options markets uh, certainly not in an automated fashion um and so i think if you are maybe a longer term um investor or manager but not trying to be a systematic cta but wanting to use trend following as a concept um, then, and if you were really smart and, 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 and were able to get more out of doing it in options, possibly that could work. But if you're trying to be kind of a pure systematic CTA uh, trend follower, I think sticking with futures where you can do all your back tests, you know that it's, it's this thing about testing what we trade and, and trading what we test. I think that those two are, are quite important. And so disturbing the picture with options, uh, even if you can increase the... The, the output a little bit, um, I think the complications of that would be uh, far away, the, the advantage. Um, but anyways, it shouldn't stop you, Eric, from trying, if, if that's what you want, of course. We've got Sam back in the house. Um, and Sam's, uh, never Sam's never left the house. <laughs> he's never left the house. He's still <laughs> here. Uh, okay, so he's referring to an episode which you may not have uh, heard, uh, Jerry. But I released an episode with a with a short term manager. Well, he's both short term, but he's also um, uh, he also has a trend following program. An Australian guy, great guy, Alan Sheen, who um, I, I think I released part one this week, and part two is coming out uh, in a few days. I encourage everyone to listen to it, of course. Um, so Sam goes on. I listened to the episodes with Alan Sheen uh, this week, and he provides some facts about his strategy that relate to something I brought up in the past that allows uh, for comparison. He says his trend-following trades on average are about six weeks uh, and uses a 3 ATR initial stop. I think we all might agree that average holding period is actually pretty short term regardless of that conceptually do you think the same distance from entry can be used across multiple slash all speeds of time frames traded for example if one is trading both a six month and a 12 month look back uh, or 100 days or, or and 250 day look back uh, breakouts is it okay or common for the stop distance to be the same daily atr multiple for both isn't it inherently logical for me 
uh, sorry, this isn't inherently logical for me to think they would be. One is trying to capture longer trends, the other uh, in my mind. So I tend to, th uh, to think that one will get a wider stop with a smaller position. I know if you all said you like the idea of risking the same per entry regardless of the look back or time frame of each, but that's only part of the position size calculation. The other is the actual distance in price. All right, you are more of an ATR trader than we are. So um, what is on your mind when you hear Sam's question? Meaning really, are we keeping the stops proportionately the same regardless of time frame that's kind of how i sum it up yeah well i yeah um i didn't listen to the interview but I, initially when you described it i thought uh sam was saying that his this trader's only stop, uh, exit was the 30 yeah. atr so i use like an atr for my stop loss you know yeah and then uh once it's a profit or let's keep right. goes up, the moving average crossover or breakout kind of kicks in. So, you know, my initial reaction would be to uh, what what works best in the back test, Sam? You know, is three good with a 12-month look back? Or is the computer telling you, no, uh, it makes sense from the computer's point of view, the, the back test results that uh, the 12-month look back needs to be paired with a longer term ATR stop loss, you know, so I'll put six with the 12 month and three ATR with the six month. I mean, it should sort of pop out and tell you, I doubt if it's going to say that, but, uh, that's where I would look. And then, um, I, I like, I would use three, four, five, six, you know, whatever ATRs you want. Uh, I, I'm, I'm happy with that because that just gives you that more diversification. And uh, <clears throat> I'm sure that uh, the three through six ATR stop on the back test would have slightly different results and a higher winning percentage for the six ATR and lower winning winning percentage for the three ATR. They kind of kind of go together, you know. So... Um, but it's going to give you more diversification on the stop loss. It's a minor thing, but it's worth doing in the same way that the six-month look back and the 12-month look back make about the same amount of money probably over a long period of time. But, you know, in certain trades like these bonds where you have massive profits and it's dominating your performance and booking this profit and getting out at a good price uh, matters a lot. The exit's going to matter a lot to your P&L, this one random trade exit. You know, you kind of want to mix up where you're going to get out. Uh, you know, sometimes you're going to get out at the six-month low or the you know, look back on the six-month uh, prices and uh, it's going to go straight down after that. And so you're happy. And sometimes it's going to go back and make new highs. And so you're kind of halfway happy because you got out of half and you kept half. So this sort of, uh, we're, all in, we're all in favor of multiple entries, multiple exits. Somehow giving people the impression that I don't agree with that, but I, I agree with everything trend following, trend following plus nothing uh, with multiple entries, multiple exits, multiple stop losses. It's you know, as long as it kind of looks good on the back test. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I agree with uh, with all of that. I would add to it and say that I've certainly also on my side seen 
the benefits of having uh, tighter stops or looser stops initially for sure that gives that, that really does provide uh, some diversification um, but I think also the other key takeaway maybe Sam um, from what Jerry said is that and and correct me if I'm wrong here is that um, you, you can also have different types of stops that kick in once you have moved away from your uh, kind of entry price and you're in the trade and you've been there for a while, then maybe the original way of, of where, where you put your stop goes away and there are other rules that uh, take care of, of where you want to get out eventually. So keep that in mind as well, that it's not all about just having one type of stop uh, at all times. Uh, I think that's important takeaway as well. Um, and um, yeah, cool. Thanks, Sam, for your question as always. We have a question from, um, and I may not pronounce the name right, so I apologize in advance, but Newbie, uh, or Noob. Um, and um, and the question is, a few weeks ago, uh, you three wise men noted the challenge a new systematic manager is most likely to struggle with is staying in trades when the position gets hair on it, okay? To that end, are there any contracts you may recommend a new manager avoiding until they get some experience? Um, let me kick in on that one first and just say one of the key things we're also saying, I mean, there may be contracts that are simply too big uh, and, and you need to be depending on account size. But as we always tell our both our potential clients, our clients and, 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 and here on the podcast is that you know, we size our positions proportionate to the risk or the volatility of the of, of the of the market. So, in theory, one market is no is not more risky than another market. So it's not like one market we would shy away from. If you have a small account size, that's different because there could be contracts where it's it's too it's difficult to get you know less than one lot to do that even though nowadays they come up with the mini this and the mini that so they try and the exchanges try and work around those things but but just in general terms um we don't and this is actually an, an, an interesting point that uh, that comes up of that because i was recently um a few months ago, um, someone came to me and said, well, you know, if you, uh, and I phrased it a little bit differently, just, um, but but basically they were looking at, at managers and they felt that a manager like Don would be more risky because we trade more commodities and um, compared to a manager that would trade just financial markets. So in my view, they've got it completely 180 degrees wrong because of two things. One, we size the positions um, the same, meaning we take into account the, the volatility of the market. So whether it's sugar or whether it's short sterling, it shouldn't matter. The second thing is, of course, that uh, commodities are the least correlated markets in our portfolio. So in my opinion, at least, I would say that we have a, a, a lower overall uh, risk in the portfolio doesn't mean we can't lose a lot of money like anyone else but it just means that we have more strings to play on because commodities really do offer some um, you know very low correlation or negative correlation to many of the other markets we trade but I understand why people sometimes feel that because it's a commodity that it must be more risky 
Um, but I and maybe it's because we all now see how the Fed is, you know, managing expectations and making equity markets look ultra safe. I think that's a false safety. Same with the bond markets. I mean, at some point, this could well blow up on all of us. Um, like the currency markets did many years ago, suddenly we had, you know, a real volatility, um, certainly back in the early 90s and, uh, and in Asia in the late 90s. So just because it looks safe doesn't mean it is safe. And the more diversification, like Jerry was talking about, entries, exits, markets, you know, the more of that, at least in my opinion, um, the, the more robust and, and the quote-unquote safer the um, the approach. Yeah, I mean, commodities are the best. <clears throat> There's nothing like them. They're not that correlated with each other. And so I think uh, even though I do my best to put together a portfolio of single equities that are highly diversified, so I'm going to try to tilt the odds that where I'll have some longs and some shorts <clears throat> and some flat positions and uh I've even come up with this stupid idea that I want to be short in the biggest bull market of all time. I'd like a few shorts on, and that's proven that I've done a decent job, hopefully, of uh, diversifying my equity markets that I trade. So, <clears throat> But you know what? Regardless of uh, the numbers, the historical numbers that I run and how I put my portfolio together, there's going to be a day, multiple days in my recent past where Every single stock is just getting crushed for a day or two or a week. Very unlikely in the commodities. <clears throat> it's possible. There has been days where there is a theme in all the markets. And every market I have on, even the commodities, I'm losing money. Because this overall theme of a econ economic expansion or whatever the panic of the day is, it's going to, yeah, it can take over some of these markets. Uh, but having shorts on, even if it's a short commodity and a long stock, you know that's less risk than having both be long. So the shorts are, are very important as well. Uh, but yeah, the commodities are great, and like Neil said, uh, the most diversified. And that actually, I've had that same conversation before with the client. I've told it on the podcast where wasn't able to trade commodities for one of my clients in 1994, I think, and we made 15% in coffee. And for everyone else, except this one client who said, hey, I wanted an account with no commodities. We're like, sure. And then uh, they asked me in, at the end of 94, how did the rest of your clients make 15%? And we, we broke even. And I told them about coffee. It was all in coffee. And they said, well, we thought uh, commodities were really volatile and really risky. We told them, gave them the explanation Neil just gave, and they was like, okay, trade commodities for us. So this is the typical, this happens to me, it happens to all of us humans on this planet. Uh, we hear it, but until we experience the, uh, <clears throat> our mistakes, we're, we're slow to change. So they, they got the religion pretty quickly that uh, more diversification is better. Yeah, absolutely. Next question comes from Clay. Uh, Clay writes, had a quick question, was thinking about the systematic space and various strategies and got me thinking about you guys slash uh, or brackets done and others about how your day is filled. Turnover is relatively low, so assuming majority of the time spent researching, client interaction, tweaking systems and trying to uh, break them. 
Um, just curious as was thinking if when I launch, I have a decent amount of time on my hands, despite having to initially wear multiple hats, PM trader, liaison with my prime broker, outsource compliance, administrator, etc. Um, so Clay, I mean, you're right that in terms of activity, the, 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 the implementation of trades with a longer term trend following system, uh, is is obviously not going to take up uh, all of your day. Clearly, as as your size grows, uh, there will be more, and and we certainly, uh, you know, obviously we have a full time trading staff uh, covering all hours and and so on and so forth. Um, and um, and I would say on on average, we probably see small trades uh, in half the markets we trade uh, on a daily basis. Um, so, but it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that, that that's, you know, what, what the traders are doing, uh, all day, but there are lots of other things, uh, they need to do. And then of course, as, as your business grows, then there will be lots of other things that you need to, to cover. And, and that's what people do, but it is true. And I've heard this said on, on other podcasts, I think actually on, on Mike Covell's podcast, that one of the first thing he noticed when he came to our offices many years ago was it was like step, stepping into an accountant's office very quiet very nothing exciting going on and that is true i mean there is there is this it's it's not like what you see on on movies when you see about trading and 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 all of that i think that's what people might think it's like but what we do is in 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 many ways very boring and and it and boring is good so um so yeah i hope you i hope you do launch and i hope you have uh, lots of time on your hands to continue your research and and wear all the other hats that you need to wear uh launching is tough uh it's a uh, it's become even more difficult i think nowadays um and i think um I think one of the hardest things that that you know firms, even established firms, uh, you know, one of the hardest things to do is not necessarily to come up with a system that is okay. Um, it's it's building the business. The business side have uh, I think has be- increased in complexity. Finding clients, um, I think, is incredibly hard at the moment. There's so much resistance um, because people tend to want to buy the, the safe things, the big brands, the uh, strategies that they're most familiar with, uh, which is another interesting topic. I mean, they, you should probably buy things that you're not that familiar with as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, but um, it's an exciting journey if you do if you do start it. Anything you want to add uh, to that, um, Jerry? Yeah, it's just so much there, so much to talk about. Um, we need to ded- dedicate another show to that subject yeah. uh, I think we did one uh, or we spent a lot of time on this but uh, <clears throat> definitely you know you gotta cover all your bases regulations and compliance is a big deal these days more so than when I was around and uh, you want to put a lot of uh, concentration a lot of your energy on the systems and the trading and then as quickly as can uh, find competent talented people to help you with everything else just don't take your eye off the ball of the trading and the research. That's the most important thing. And there's so many things you can get distracted by. Uh, <clears throat> I think over the years, my our biggest distraction was, uh, you know, a lots of uh, separately managed accounts. It's just a plague. Uh, CTAs need to have uh, most of their money in a fund, like all the hedge funds do, and maybe a few really large, substantial managed accounts. Uh, 
because that sort of administration and the cost and the distraction can weigh on the firm. Uh, you should never have a client dictating to you that you can't trade stocks, that you can't trade commodities. And this is all just uh, <clears throat> signs of, you know, clients that uh, unless you can make a change, you know, you need to, uh, <clears throat> I know when I look back over time and think, you know, anything that compromised my best ideas, any, any person or any client or any structure or managed account or fund that didn't allow me to implement what I thought was correct and do the best for my clients was a total mistake. Uh, you can hear my voice getting rising. I'm getting exercised here. And so, uh, yeah, don't do that. <clears throat> if you end your career with a 50 million under management, 100 million, a couple, you know, small, small firm with just a couple of people and all the money is in your fund and you were able to <clears throat> do the trades and have the portfolio that you thought was correct, that's a hugely successful career. Uh, sometimes it's, the bigger you get, it's just impossible not to make uh, unfortunate compromises. Yeah, I think that's really important, actually. And um, and I, I, I think that, that that's great. Great advice. Uh, that size is not a determinant of uh, of success for sure, um, and and I think that also shows. Uh, I mean, Jerry was talking about how his voice changed when he gets into that. I mean, that's the other thing that I think is really important, and that's just passion. You know, be passionate about what you do, stick to your guns, and 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 don't let you know anyone tell you that you know you're doing it wrong. If if that's the way you want to run your business, if that's the way you want to do it, um, you know, stick with that. Uh, authenticity in general, by the way, I think is much more attractive than trying to mirror or mimic uh, what other people are doing. Um, so anyways, last question, and I'm definitely going to butcher this name. I apologize in advance. Um, I have a feeling it might be Italian. I'm not even sure. But Gian Gaetano, something along those lines. Apologize if I didn't get that quite right. Nevertheless, your question is in perfect English, so I'm going to read it instead. Having stops did not mean that the turtles always had actual stop orders placed with the broker. Since the turtles carried such large positions, we did not want... Oh, by the way, this is something he found in a book I'm quoting. It's a quote. Uh, apparently. Sorry about that. I should have said that. So the quote is, having stops did not mean that the turtles always had actual stops, stop orders placed with the broker. Since the turtles carried such large positions, we did not want to reveal our positions or our trading strategies by placing stop orders with brokers. Instead, we were encouraged to have a particular price, which uh, when hit, would cause us to exit our positions using either limit orders or market orders. Now, you can, of course, uh, comment, Jerry, because you know whether that's uh, correct or not. Um, but uh, what uh, our listener is asking is, um, is, this, is this the best practice nowadays uh, as well? Or essentially, should you put your orders with, with your broker in advance? Hmm... Good question. Uh, yeah. What did you do back then in the when you were trading for Rich? Were you uh, were you doing saying okay the, the the stop is hit, let me go and 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 do the order, or or did you leave uh, orders with, or did you bit do a bit of both? Uh, do you remember? Uh, we definitely would uh, not always put the stops in. You know, it's kind of funny because when you 
we were sort of taught how to trade from A to Z. Mm-hmm. Research, the systems, money management, um, execution. Uh, and uh, we were taught the principles that if you're trading one million or if you're trading one billion, you know, these are good principles. So mm-hmm. sometimes we acted like we were trading a billion, like we'd have a one <laughs> lot to buy in the most liquid market going. And we would like want to work this order or don't put it in on the open or don't put it in as a market order, you know, because you'll get this big slippage or something. So we, we didn't really know where, we, you know, we didn't, we didn't really act like we uh, knew what we were doing sometimes, but, um, uh, yeah, so I think you know avoiding the opening, uh, the the mess of the open, or putting an order in before the open. That's kind of don't do that. It's kind of a good idea. Wait, wait for the market to open after a couple of minutes or whatever. Kind of settle down. You know, I've seen some really bad situations. People putting orders, market orders in prior to the open. Uh, that's a no-no probably. I think in something like the Boond, you know, we put in like a, a stop limit or just do the market order. Nowadays, you've got uh, the algos, and you can program it to start and stop and go slow, go fast, based on volume, based on average price or something. So it's it's a whole different world now. Uh, yeah, uh, stop limits, stops. You know, there's all sorts of ways to protect yourself. Um, yeah, I don't really have an opinion. I think uh, I will say that the most important thing in execution that I have found through research is when your target price gets elected, start doing the trade. (laughs) Don't be too fancy. Don't sit back and say, well, I'm supposed to buy at 50. It's now at 50. Maybe I should wait for it to retrace a little bit. Oh, I missed it. It's at 55. Should I wait for it to come back to 50? You know, these mind games on how to, you're going to hold this position for six months to a year. That's your speculation piece. Do you want to speculate on the execution? I'm not saying throw a market order in all the time. I'm just saying, look, when it gets hit, do the trade. Keep buying higher prices if you have to for the next hour or so, whatever. Markets are cruel. You'll have to buy the high of the day. Then as soon as you're done, it'll go right back down. All these things can happen. But uh, just do the trade. I don't think it's a big deal to how you're going to do it all the time, especially if it's liquid. Yeah, and especially if it's uh, kind of in the longer term uh, time frame. I mean, often you can do your you can do your research and you'll find out that well, you did the trade the you know the day after the signal. It didn't have a big impact on your performance anyway. So, again, unless you are very large and uh, trading is 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 a really important uh, part of of your strategy in terms of implementation and slippage and all of that. Sure, and you know, and and some managers, frankly, I mean, I've certainly heard of managers who uh, try and make, you know, the whole slippage thing, the edge that they, that why they, you should choose them because they have better execution methods or algorithms or whatever. But I, I wouldn't choose a manager just because they're good at execution. I would choose a manager who has developed some really um, robust strategies and have proven that they have worked uh, for uh, for many years, uh, like, like Chesapeake, like Don, um, you know, it's not about the, uh, you know, specific price you you trade at, uh, in in my opinion. Yeah, I you can't trust. <clears throat> I've been uh, surprised at how traders will describe their slippage calculations. You can't really trust uh, right. the, some crazy assumptions. But you bring up a very good point, and that is um, what you said about um, <clears throat> the 
you do this research and you doesn't really matter if you bought in the open or the closed or in the day or the next day and this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Aha. But the key to it not really making much of a difference is you're brutally consistent. Mm. You're doing it the same way all the time. Or you're like a third on the open, a third in the middle of the day, a third on the close, mm. a third of market order, a third of stop, you know, something like that. That's fine. Mm. It doesn't have to be the same, but when, you know, you're consistently handling these trades the exact same way and the computer says, aha, well, if that's what you're doing, it's not going to really matter over the long term, uh, you know, how you do these things, but doing it the same way and consistently applying this technique in the same way that you're going to consistently do your systems. You know, every time it hits this breakout, I buy. Hits this other breakout, I buy the other half. Well, you're doing it that way consistently every single time, then the numbers are going to be fine for you. But haphazard, randomly, being emotional and uh, doing it this way one time, well, that didn't work, so the next time I'll do it another way? No, the computer's going to say, oh, that matters because you're not being consistent. Great point. And the other thing I would say, um, if you have a strategy that is um, really robust, um, I think the, the edge lies within the strategy at that point, so to speak, compared to something where the edge is either speed of execution, so a lot of the short-term strategies where it's the speed that gave people the edge, and as soon as what happened, so what happened maybe the strategies that started uh, as quote-unquote short-term strategies uh, 10, 15 years ago, where uh, you could see as soon as other people became, you know, or as as quick as in terms of execution, et cetera, et cetera, that edge disappeared and the performance disappeared along with it. Um, so, so don't focus on strategies where the edge is based on, I think, some kind of technology that can be opt out by just improvements in technology. Find something that is, of course, we would say behavioral based because it's not going to go away anytime soon. And, and also it makes it a lot easier in terms of what equipment you need to implement it. Just do it as, as Jerry said, just make sure you do it consistently. It's the consistency, doing all the trades and following the rules, that's that's the magic. That's where the edge really should lie. Okay, let me quickly run through the markets, Jerry. That was the last question. Uh, or not the markets, the uh, performance so far, as we are getting very close to month end. Um, and then we can think of anything else to bring up. Uh, the beta 50 index as of Thursday. Uh, and by the way, I think Friday was pretty quiet. But as of Thursday, it was down for September 304%, still up 9.18 for the year. Sockgen CTA index down 3.22, still up uh, 8.57 for the year. Uh, Sockgen trend down 5.06, um, but up 13.89 for the year. The Sockgen short term traders index down 1.42 for the month. And up a little bit this year, 1.66. And the Bridge Alternatives Index, the flat fee funds, down 4.03, up 12.03 for the year. Um, any final thoughts um, on this Sunday? Well, you know, I just realized uh, during this uh, <clears throat> podcast that we it's so difficult to... Um, not have an interaction. You know, we, we're trying to answer these questions and we, uh, we don't, we're, there's not a ability to follow up. And so mm -hmm. I think um, this live event, hopefully we'll have some more. 
is something that people should consider because it gives you the chance to sort of follow up, ask your follow up, get your clarification. Right. So often I, I, I know I'm perceived as not saying something I didn't mean to say. Uh, mm. So uh, it'll be fun to meet this group of people and have this uh, back and forth. And one of my tweets from earlier this week, uh, one of our participants commented back and uh, his response was, I can't wait to get to the bottom of this when I meet you. <laughs> so uh, yeah. it was my tweet about uh, how uh, as, as much as we kind of enjoy <clears throat> well, we, we kind of want to, to not give back too much profit in a big uh, profitable trade, we need to be wary of getting out too quickly and getting out too close to the highs because we, there is no magical indicator. And uh, the cost of getting out too close to the high is we have to get back in. And that is a new cost. That is a cost of uh, loss of profit, getting back in, resetting the position size to probably something that's smaller than we had on because the volatility has gotten higher, uh, like these bonds. So uh, anyways, I just think um, maybe technology-wise, we'll be able to uh, loop listeners in one of these days to where we can uh, be more real-time and get follow-up questions. But uh, so that was my takeaway from today. Yeah, no, that that actually is a good point, and uh, and 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 uh, and I concur. It's going to be super exciting to uh, meet people and get to uh, really deal with uh, you know the the details, the nitty gritty details of their challenges, and and of course what we will try to do uh, very best. Of course, we need questions from the people participating. We want to address their problems. It's not going to be a seminar where we're just going to talk about concepts. We want to deal with real real life problems or challenges. Um, but the hope, of course, is that um, we will be able to create some breakthroughs for them uh, in either their trading or their business. Combine that with Jerry being you being in charge of uh, the catering arrangement, so to speak, finding the best restaurants in uh, New York should be great fun. Now we have Denise uh, uh, coming as well, and uh, that's going to be so exciting. So, um, yeah, if you're still on the fence and you want to join us, um, send us an email. We have one or two spots left. Anyway, that does it for another episode of The Systematic Investor. As always, you can find notes and links related to this episode at toptradersonplug.com. From Jerry and me, thanks for listening. And until next time, buy high and sell low. Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor podcast series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show. And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.